Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, sponsored by What It Takes. Today is Tuesday, July 28th. The Dow is down, Phoenix's temperature is up to 112 degrees, and we're focused on the future of live music. Since March, America's live music industry has been closed. Big concerts, small concerts, medium concerts, musical theater, all of it. For many small theater operators, the situation has become dire. A newly formed trade group called the National Independent Venue Association said in May that 90% of its 1,300 members don't have enough cash to survive through the end of 2020 without federal assistance. 55% could face oblivion by the end of next month. What that federal assistance might look like is something called the Save Our Stages Act, a $10 billion bill recently introduced by Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota and Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas. It focuses specifically on venues not owned by big corporations and would direct grants through the Small Business Administration that could be used to help cover such expenses as rent, payroll, and taxes. Remember, these businesses were among the first to close. The question now is how many of them will still be around when they're eventually allowed to reopen. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Senator Amy Klobuchar. But first, this. We are joined now by Senator Amy Klobuchar. So, Senator, let's start here. There was obviously a $2 trillion stimulus package for all sorts of things in the spring. There is now a discussion of a stimulus package for all sorts of things now. Why are you and Senator Cornyn also proposing legislation that is specific to independent music venues as opposed to just saying these are small businesses, they'll get help like every other small business? Well, what's interesting about this, Dan, is that a lot of businesses and different entities got separate help based on whatever there was unique needs in their industry. Look at the airlines. They got something like $50 billion for a few companies, ag. And our issue here is that the PPP loans are great. I mean, there are some problems with them, but they were for good reasons, and I'm glad that they're out there. But these music venues have unique needs in that they were some of the first to close. You really can't go to a mosh pit and stand six feet apart. And they also will most likely be some of the last to open with the exception maybe of some outdoor venues. And so that's why the Save Our Stages Act is focused not just really on the venues, but on theaters, not just music, and the whole really artist culture that we have in the U.S. And it's not just a culture, it's a huge economic engine and a big export for our country. We thrive on music in America, and it's one of our most successful exports to the world. And the problem is, if you shut down these venues and the ability of artists like Prince to catch on, like First Avenue in Minneapolis, then we're kind of screwed because then you're just turning to Live Nation and Ticketmaster that skim money off the tickets, own venues, are increasingly becoming a monopoly force even before the pandemic. And so this kind of have and have not that you're seeing in the music industry is what you're seeing really across the industries when it comes to consolidation during the pandemic. You mentioned PPP. Most of that is supposed to go to payroll, even though you can use some for overhead. When it comes to these independent stage owners, is most of what they're dealing with or need money for overhead to basically pay the rent and keep the building their building until they're able to open again? 
Exactly. You know, they have payrolls. That's important. But so much of it is the venue itself. They operate on really thin margins, as we all know, with tickets and the like that really keep going with the venue and upkeep on the venue and creating space for musicians and artists to perform. And so that's why they are unique. And I think the money that we're looking at for the grants would only get at like 45% of their revenue. And they are a grouping, and we've only limited this to the smaller venues, so it doesn't go to ones that are owned by big companies like Live Nation, but 90% of them report that they're at risk of losing and closing their venues. There's not many industries that can say that. If this got passed tomorrow, say it got actually introduced and passed and the money started going out, how long would it actually last? Because as you said, a lot of these were some of the first places to close and will be the last to reopen. We don't know when reopening of live music would be, you know, at best the end of Q1 next year. We're going to try to get it in this ongoing negotiation, but otherwise I'm sure there'll be more work in the fall. And then that would be able to keep them afloat until the vaccine is brought out in a big way because, you know, we're hoping that this will all happen next year, of course. But our problem with them is that they're starting to go down now. How do you and Senator John Cornyn come to co-sponsor this bill? Because the two of you don't strike me as the most common legislative bedfellows. This one came out of specifically the fact that we have a lot of music scene in Minnesota going way back to Bob Dylan. And then, of course, Liz Oak actually got a lot of her start. She wasn't born in Minnesota, but she came into her own in the Minnesota music scene and Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam and Prince and everything else we had. And of course, Texas has Austin, which has a huge music scene with a lot of small venues. Can you talk about those second, third order impacts, you know, the restaurants, the food trucks, everything else, the kind of the ecosystem that is around a live entertainment venue? Exactly. And that is a big part of this because When you think about when people go to Nashville or you name the city and they go to see a play or they go to see some music, they're probably not just going to stay there. They might, but most likely they're going to go to a restaurant or maybe they go to a movie and they go to that afterward. And so that's a big part of this. Senator, a personal question. What is the first concert you ever went to and what was the last concert you've been to? Oh, let's see. Well, I went to plenty of concerts on the campaign trail, but I went to a whole series of concerts in the 70s, like Led Zeppelin, and I went to Aerosmith and The Cars. And then I also, of course, remember going to see Prince, like no one can forget that, going to see Bruce Springsteen. One of my more memorable concerts near Washington is with my daughter when we went to see The Lumineers. During the pandemic, I watched some of the live concerts that they had for aid on TV. That was a lot of fun. Those were the last concerts I saw were pandemic isolation concerts. Senator, final question for you. You talked about how you and Senator Cornyn are trying to get this included in whatever stimulus bill finally gets to the floor. This is not a concert question, but a broader question. How confident are you that there will be some stimulus package that gets passed before you all are scheduled to go on recess in a couple of weeks? Well, we have to. I don't think we can go home if that doesn't happen because we've got needs with unemployment, with some record days where people are filing unemployment. We've seen record numbers for the coronavirus with 31 states just last week seeing increases. We've got the school issue coming up and there are so many things pending. I think that some of our colleagues thought this was just going to go away. And I will quote the president himself, who last week said it's going to get worse before it gets better. And this is no time to make people wait anymore. 
more. We've been waiting for over 60 days since the HEROES Act passed in the House. It's been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. I think it's time. I don't like everything about their bill, and I think it's a weak version of what we need. Senator Amy Klobuchar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dan. It was really great to be on. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Roe a digital pharmacy that just raised new venture capital at a $1.5 billion valuation. Why it matters is that this deal reflects how the coronavirus has made telemedicine more acceptable among both consumers and investors. Now, some of you might remember Roe as Roman, which started out by selling generic Viagra over the internet, although it's now expanded also into women's health. Or you might know its rival, Hims, which later launched a HERS brand. Both companies have been considered controversial because they provide prescription medicine without first requiring in-person exams. But it seems that convention is weakening, judging by Rose new valuation and reports that HIMS might soon go public. Today, we are also watching drug pricing. President Trump last Friday signed several executive orders aimed at bringing down pharma prices. Top drug company executives responded by bailing on a scheduled Tuesday meeting at the White House And then today, Pfizer's CEO said in an earnings call that the new rules will cause distractions at a time when his company and others are focused on developing COVID-19 vaccines. The bottom line, the White House and Pharma need to be working together right now, but instead they're bickering. Finally today, we are watching Remington, the country's oldest gunmaker, which has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection for the second time in three years. Yes, even though America is in the midst of a gun sales surge, as we discussed on the pod a few weeks back. What happened? Well, basically the same problem as when it first filed for bankruptcy in 2018. Litigation related to the Sandy Hook massacre, in which a Remington rifle was used, which caused the company to take on lots of debt at a very high interest rate. Plus a legacy of mismanagement by private equity firm Cerberus, which was washed out during the original bankruptcy. The question now is who, if anyone, will step up to give Remington a third chance. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national milk chocolate day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios recap.